0: Hi there, this is Edward Vlad, founder of Independent Research Forum, IRF, and I'm very pleased and excited to be joined today by Dominique Doual-Frakar of Dwal frakar Macro on this IRF podcast. As a very brief background on IRF, we provide the investment community with access to a wide range of high quality and differentiated independent research providers. We now represent over 250 providers from fundamental sector researchers to top-down macro specialists such as Dominique. As funds increasingly want to glean insights from independents, IRF has grown quickly with a team today of fifteen. For any active investor, IRF will have independent solutions to complement their investment processes and improve their performance. We're very pleased that Dominique has recently joined IRF, having just launched independently this year. We are very excited to hear about her experience at the IMF, World Bank, and the New York Fed, as well as spending time on the sell side and buy side, including. A position within Bridgewater. Dominique is a contrarian, differentiated researcher with an unrivaled network. She famously predicted the Asian crisis of 1997 whilst working as an economist in Thailand at the World Bank. Today, through her own research boutique, Dominique provides thematic macro analysis, directional views, and policy calls. Her focus is predominantly on the US economy, on which she'll be enlightening us on her views today. So, Dominique, a very warm welcome to you. Let's start with a very brief background on your firm, how you came to set up independently and what you offer your clients.
1: Thanks, Ed. I've been meaning to uh, set out independently for quite some time. I've had an opportunity to work in very different uh, setups, as you mentioned. And I've always found that places like the Fed, the IMF, where you learned a lot also had a lot of uh, institutional constraints. Um, And I felt a bit frustrated uh, by these constraints and biases to express my own views. So um, having gone through all of those, I decided that it was time to set out that I would have more flexibility, more nimbleness, and uh, I would be able to better serve my clients Uh, by being able to react more timely and uh, express my own views without much constraints. So what makes my research different, I think, is a combination of big picture views uh, and practical portfolio implications. So if you subscribe, you're going to get two types uh, of products. One is going to be Uh, my overall view of where we are going. For instance, why I think that eventually we will move to the high inflation regime. And then you will get a thematic weekly uh, comment on the data uh, and on my expectations for the week, uh, which is going to increase or decrease my conviction that my big picture view is indeed correct. So I would define it as big picture analysis with practical portfolio implications.
0: Excellent. Thank you for that. So as we look out to next year, what will you be advising your clients to do and why?
1: Okay. So if there is a year to be long risk, it is next year. Uh, And for three reasons. I mean, we have a very rare combination of alignment of stars. So star number one, Um, unprecedented policy support uh, in the U.S. and around the world. I mean, whether it's monetary or fiscal policy, I mean, if you look at monetary policy in the U.S., the Fed owns the largest share of treasury coupons ever. Uh, in, In the world outside of the U.S., similarly super loose monetary policies, Nobody is in a rush to tighten. And same with the fiscal. I mean, we had insane uh, deficit this year. And next year, we'll have a limited tightening, which is going to be basically the uh, stabilizers working, so the economy doing better, so the deficit will get smaller. But no uh, autonomous tightening, really. So we have that amazing policy support, then we have no uh, very, in my view, very little risk of inflation Uh, for a number of uh, reasons. The biggest one uh, is that we still have enormous labor market slack. Uh, And it's not just that the unemployment uh, is above 6%, but it's just that we've had an enormous decline in participation So as the economy normalizes, all these people, women especially, are going to come back to the labor market and that's going to keep wages down. Another reason why I think uh, inflation is going to uh, remain low is that uh, the pandemic has been a catalyst for a number of productivity improving changes. Uh, People have been working from home So that prompted uh, corporations to think again about who they really need to have on site, who they really needed to have even inside the corporation. Um, And so they are going to save on labor costs, they are going to save on real estate and facilities uh, costs. Those savings are going to stay with us. Um, They are going to lower inflation Uh, because all of those productivity gains are going to accrue to employers rather than the employee. Um, And the third factor why inflation is likely to remain low is, I think, the the structural reasons why we've been in a low inflation regime for such a long time, which, in my view, are largely uh, workers' loss of bargaining power and the flat uh, Phillips curve, against the rise of monopoly power, so greater pricing power on the corporate side, which is keeping real wages very low, those factors have not changed. I think they are going to change over the next few years because of the politics of the US and elsewhere, but it's not going to happen next year, and I don't think the market will be even thinking about it next year. So my bet is that next year, People who expect an inflation acceleration are going to be really surprised. Now, the third star that is aligned, uh, you know, for this banner for these cassettes, um, is the fact that uh, immunizations are starting next week, uh, and that we have such a huge pipeline of vaccines that. Uh, Even if there are delays or issues with one vaccine, like, for instance, Pfizer announced that delivery schedule wouldn't be as sustained as initially expected. It's very likely that by mid-next year, we will have, in rich countries and in the U.S. especially, mass immunization well underway. So if you know, and normalization, obviously. Plus, let's keep in mind that the spike in cases that we have right now is largely seasonal. So as we come uh, towards the spring, uh, cases are going to go down. Uh, Mass immunization will be gathering pace and uh, governments, governors in the US because uh, health policy is decided at the state level will relax uh, uh, restrictions on businesses. So if you are an investor or even if you are a business and you know that mid-year things are going back to normal, even if you have a slowdown between now and new, New Year, you're going to look through it because you know things are going to get much better very soon. So these are really the three reasons why I think this is going
0: to be a banner year for risk assets. Interesting. Thank you very much for that. Um, in terms of your inflation predictions, so so what were they? Where, earlier this year, when you were predicting a big uptick in inflation, and um, and what what's your current view for next year's inflation rate?
1: Uh, my current view for next year's inflation rate is that we are probably going to, in terms of core PT, probably going to remain in a say one and a half, one and three quarter range. Um, And I was more optimistic earlier on because I expected that uh, Congress would have passed uh, an extension uh, of the current uh, support. Uh, I expected this to happen by August at the latest. Uh, And it turns out uh, U.S. politics was even more dysfunctional than I thought. So we didn't have the policy support. As a result, the economy uh, is slowing Um, and so it will take more time to absorb all the excess labour even if we have, as is likely, it's likely that we are going to have a small package uh, now. Uh, We could get uh, more support from Congress next year if the Democrats win the two Uh, Runoff races in Georgia in early January. Uh, But if you look at uh, prediction markets that had actually quite a good track record with this election, unlike pollsters, uh, the odds of the Democrats winning are rising, but they are still 30%. So my bet is that we will still have a split Congress next year, and that, as I did with Obama, uh the Republican senators uh will impose uh you know if not fiscal austerity, certainly a tighter uh fiscal policy than uh, the u s need at this stage and so that's why I think the uh labor market uh surplus um will take quite some time to get absorbed well beyond next year and that's really the basis for revising down my inflation expectations
0: yeah so when do you think we could see inflation in the in the US economy and and when do you think rates could rise again
1: so you know uh, rates uh, are rising uh, are going to rise somewhat more uh, but I think you know they will be capped first of all by the absolutely enormous uh bond uh, purchases uh, by the Fed in the spring. In fact, what is striking to me is how little reaction of break-even there has been to uh, inflation, positive or growth, positive news. Uh, And I think it's because basically the Fed has destroyed the treasury markets and they they own such a huge quantity uh, that's really dampening pressures. Uh, Then, you know, we are seeing, so no, my expectation is no increase in inflation, uh, not a big increase. We also have probably a split Congress. Also, you know, there is this enormous uh, pot of liquidity with the Treasury General account that could be used uh, to fund the budget deficit and further reduce coupon issuance. So with all those things, I'm thinking maybe the 10 years will go Around 1% by the end of next year uh, on a sustainable basis. You know, the markets are now very liquid, so much more spiky than they used to be. But I don't see the prospect of a sustained increase uh, much beyond that level. To have a sustained increase in inflation, we need structural change in the economy. And that structural change has to do with giving workers. A more bargaining power so that the Phillips curve can get steeper. Because what does the Phillips curve mean, flat, a flat Phillips curve mean? It means that even when unemployment is very low, workers cannot get higher uh, wages. And to me, this simply means that uh, the workers have very little bargaining power because of globalization, but also because of labor market uh, rules that have, you know, weakened their capacity to unionize, uh, that have put in place what I call hyper-flexibility. In fact, what is striking in this downturn is how fast corporates have adjusted, they have kicked people out, so that actually productivity of labor has even increased in the uh, downturn when usually it falls because uh, corporations wait a while before kicking people out. And the reason they've been able to impose this hyper-flexibility is because uh, because of politics, uh, and the politics are changing. And we have a Treasury Secretary who is a labor market economist and who knows very well that uh, one of the reasons for the mediocre performance of the U.S. economists in the crisis has been the decline uh, in labor share of income, um, and uh, which itself reflects uh, loss of bargaining power. So I'm expecting to see some strengthening of workers' bargaining power. And in fact, uh, one of the striking results of this election is in Florida, where workers approved an increase in the minimum wage over several years to $15. And that's a measure that could really... Uh, strike on uh, workers' bargaining power. And what's interesting is that other states, even Republican states, and let's not forget that Florida has a Republican governor, voted for Trump and yet supported this increase in the minimum wage. And other states are uh, starting to think about how they will follow through. So I think in terms of politics, we are really starting to see a turnaround where workers' interests are better defended by political parties across the spectrum, and that's going to steepen the Phillips curve uh, and bring us uh, inflation back, uh, which would be a very good thing in my view.
0: So, in terms of uh, you said that you would be uh, very long risk assets right now. You'd be predicting that the S and P will see all-time highs this time next year. Is that,
1: would that be right? Yeah, I think it could easily uh, see a 20% increase from where we are. because if, if you, Well, I mean, if you look at a, a consensus forecast, uh, they predict about 20% uh, increase in earnings, uh, which makes sense because typically in recoveries, uh, earnings grow much faster than nominal GDP because you have... Operational leverage: Right firms can expand production without expanding uh, cost as much. Plus, we have a recovery with a very weak labor market, which means uh, with all these measures I've just discussed, uh, likely to happen in you know well beyond next year. It means that we will have a recovery with a, an increase in the profit uh, in profits. So, uh, so those numbers to me sound very plausible. Now, if you look at multiples, uh, yes, they are high, but we also have a super uh, low, super low yields. I mean, basically, financial repression by the Fed that has made, uh, you know, even high-priced equity attractive. I mean, uh, Schiller, who is the godfather of, uh, you know, those. Uh, concept of the CAPE, uh, has just published uh, an article arguing that that because yields are so low, you could easily uh, you know, get uh, sustained uh, long-term uh, outperformance of equities. That said, I disagree because I think yields are so low because we have a low inflation regime. If we change inflation regime, all bets are off. The Fed put is off. Uh, the Fed will have to run a real monetary policy that manages demand. Uh, and that would be devastating uh, for equities um, and for financial assets in general. But is this a 2021 prospect? I really don't think so.
0: Interesting. And uh, do you dig down to specific sectors? Do you believe that this uh, great rotation from growth stocks to value is is going to continue?
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, you know, when you have that sort of rally, uh, people, so that starts with things, a number of things, assets being already quite expensive, people look for what's cheap, and what's cheap in relative terms, it's value, uh, emerging markets, you know, uh, FX, equities, uh, and um, uh, stocks outside of the US. And the one thing to keep in mind also is that because we've had, this insanely loose Fed policies, once, you know, the world economy uh, is no longer afraid of COVID, uh, especially EMs uh, that are dependent a lot on on tourism, we're going to even to have an enormous dollar credit boom and global credit boom. So uh, even the dogs of, um, of the of the emerging markets in that context, I think, are, are going to do well. I and mean, it's always the same story. Liquidity makes anything
0: look good. Great. And what, what, what are the key risks investors should keep in mind?
1: So in my view, there are two key risks, uh, which are basically the eurozone and China. So starting with China, um, things look great now. But as you know, the Chinese government is not exactly transparent and generous with its data. Um, and the big picture in China is that they've had years of financial imbalances. Uh, and in other EMs, uh, when you have that type of a buildup in credit, uh, it always ends up in tears. And typically the trigger for for, crisis, for those crises is a shock and clearly uh, in, the case, in our case, in the case of China, the shock is a slowdown uh, that has come as a result of COVID. So everything looks great now, but I mean, you know, we need to look at things like partner country trade, uh, especially trade in raw material with China to get a sense of whether things are as rosy as they look. And of course, another factor to take into account with China is that uh, once you know the uh, pandemic uh, shock uh, dissipates, people are going to pay much closer attention to China's treatment of uh, Hong Kong and of its Uyghur uh, minority. And I mean, uh, when I say people, I mean governments. Uh, and broadly speaking, I think, you know, Western governments, the US, but I suspect a number of other countries as well would like China to be a better player in terms of following um, international rules. So you're going to have pressure pressure, I think, not just from government but from the public, especially on the the Uyghur story that has been running in the back in the background, but I think is going to come to greater prominence once uh, COVID is no longer 99 uh, percent of the uh you know of the the, the media uh, of the media uh, publications so china is also going to come under pressure uh, in terms of capital inflows and possibly even in terms of exports so really one big thing to keep a look uh, to keep on your radar screen uh, and the other one is uh, you know the perennial issues with the Eurozone. Um, we've had a close advisor to the Italian prime minister suggests that the ECB forgive uh, the debt, the sovereign debt that was uh, bought in the uh, context of uh, the pandemic. Now, that is a big step because we've heard these stories from the Italians before, but before they used to come from uh, the populist party, like uh, the Five Star Movement, And this time around, they come from the center-right political establishment. And it is a really big deal because the euro is basically a dysfunctional economic arrangement that's made to work thanks to the support from the political establishment across Europe. So if we start to see support from the establishment crumble, that's when things could get serious. And to be more specific, you know, as the fears from uh, COVID dissipate, uh, countries are going to look at the basically at the COVID bills. They are huge. Italy was already in a precarious fiscal situation before uh, the pandemic. It's only going to get worse after. So I think that in the second half of next year, we're going to see some pretty unsettling comments uh, and conversation. Uh, between Italy and uh, its partners uh, in the Eurozone. So another risk to keep in mind.
0: Well, Dominique, thank you so much for your thought-provoking analysis. And most interesting to hear your very bullish outlook for risk assets going into the into 2021. I look forward to following your views, and I'm sure our the listeners will too, and seeing where we are this time next year in terms of the markets. For anyone that would like to trial the Dwell or Macro product, please do contact IRF. Thank you again, Dominique. Thanks.